All right. Hello and welcome back to Sam.gov Bids Live episode 26 today, where we walk through small business solicitations together on Sam.gov and we answer your questions along the way so that you and your small business can start bidding and winning on contracts for your business. So welcome everybody today. We do have a very special Christmas and holiday episode where we will be reviewing 10 small business solicitations. We usually only get to four. I think we've done five, a couple of episodes, but today's episode, we are doing 10. So we will definitely be going longer than what we normally do, but I will try to go through them even faster just so that we don't end up taking three hours. Um, so it should be a lot of fun and and hoping to make today's episode uh, you know, more unique and more special and more helpful in that way. <clears throat> This will also be our last live training of 2022. And so all the more reasons for us to go out with a bang. Uh, I'm gonna be taking a couple of weeks off here and then we will be able to reconvene to kick the new year off together in 2023. Welcome everybody. Um, if you are new here, you don't wanna miss future Sandback of Bids episodes, consider subscribing to the channel and clicking the notification bell so you can ask your questions live as you have them um, on future streams. And if you do happen to be uh, someone who's recently registered your business in SAM, or maybe you're in that process and you're looking to get started bidding on contracts, check out my website, govkidmethod.com for free and paid resources that were designed to support new federal contractors just like you guys. So welcome everybody. Um, for those of us who we have on live, um, good morning and good afternoon for some. If this is your first live stream, if you're catching the first live ever, put that in the chat, put first live. And then also um, for all those of you who are hanging out with us today, what state are you from? Um, let's do a check-in kind of around the country to see who is representing what states and what areas today. I will do a quick review of the bids that we have. And oops, I've got 10 of them here and I had so many I had to close out my browsers. So just give me a, a second here. I've got all the links saved and we'll go ahead and pull all those up. But again, in the meantime, any first timers here on the live, let me know. And where are you from? And yes, we're rocking the Santa hat today, doing everything I can possible to, uh, I guess, bring out that extra spirit and um, even got the lights tuned to green in the, in the back here as well. So I'm gonna have some fun today as much as I can. Three, four, five. All right, number six. So many bids. Seven, it's taking a minute for them to pull up. And so what I'm about to do is I'm going to do a quick uh, run through of the bids that we're going to be diving into today so that, you know, if you're watching, you know what we're going to be spending our time on. And then uh, we'll go in and kind of just like jump into them. All right. All right, so sorry about that. Let me go ahead and share my screen now. Oh man, the logistics, there's too many, too many tabs. The logistics are holding me up here. Just bear with me for a second. <clears throat> All 
All right, we good? All right, we got it. We got it. You can see how many tabs I have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We got all ten. Okay, so let's just dive right into it. Number one, administrative and clerical support for a Fort Sam Houston, Texas. This is going to be bid number one. Number two, prisoner transportation coordinator. Sounded interesting. Number three, lawn care ever. Not sure what the ever means. We'll find out. Number four, Bessie Nursery seedling shipment. We've got a diversity of different types of contracts. AI talent 2.0 RFP. So we got some IT going on. Um, COVID and flu testing services could be a few different things. We'll find out. Uh, custodial services over in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, med uh, VAMC shuttle services. Okay, so basically medical transport. We have a yellow ribbon uh, January 20th. And then also a yellow ribbon for January 28th. Different solicitations. So that's what we got going on today. Going to give a shout out to everybody in the stream here. And we'll go ahead and get into our first live bid review. And guys, if you have questions, if you are new, um, feel free to post your questions and I answer those in between bids. So we've got GAT55. Thank you for all the great insight and knowledge to get started. 100% welcome. Uh, Christian Solarzano, good morning. Good morning to you. And Juan uh, Toheen, California, Rancho Cucamonga. Awesome. Welcome. We've got Lost Triple O, first time out of Arizona. Love it. Welcome. And we also have, yeah, Christian's from Connecticut. Awesome. Brian Holmes, first time Montgomery, Alabama. Nice. I'm down in Gulf Shores, Alabama, so not too far away. We're both representing Alabama today, Brian. And then Juan is first time Cali. Love it. Awesome, guys. Welcome, everybody. we got Jeff. Texas, first timer, awesome. John Barker, um, out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and then also uh, Lance Trades, first out of Arizona as well. And we also have our um, our Facebook uh, members joining us here today. Bid team members, shout out to all of our bid team members. Timothy Jackson, out of Chino Hills, California, awesome guys. So just so you know, I don't look at any of these bids ahead of time uh, today. We have 10 that we're going after. If you just joined, we're making this a special episode and we're going to go a little bit longer. Uh, going to try to crank up the speed a little bit to get through all these. We normally go an hour. I anticipate it may be more like an hour and a half. Uh, we'll just kind of see what happens. I'm pretty flexible. So let's go ahead and get started now. Looking at our first bid. And if you guys have questions, you got something you're going through, feel free to post that in the chat and we'll get to that in between bids as well. So diving in. To bid number one, Administrative Clerical Support, METC, uh, JBSA, it's Joint Base, uh, I forget what SA is for, but Fort Sam Houston, Texas, uh, is going to be Air Force, okay, Administrative and Clerical Support. We're thinking maybe uh, staffing, warm bodies. This is due January 4th, currently. This is set aside for woman-owned small businesses. We don't see a whole lot of woman-owned small business set-asides. They're out there. It's just by chance we don't see a whole lot of them. They're straight up. This is super, uh, super helpful, guys. <clears throat> the contractor shall provide five FTEs. What does FTE mean? It means full-time equivalents. Uh, how many hours is that? That's 20, 80 hours per person or um, 1920 billable. So 1,920 hours for administrative and clerical support personnel. To support their operations. In terms of attachments, we have a couple of amendments here, it looks like. 
with PWS, wage determination, and then uh, two sets of answers to questions. Okay, so a few revisions and some questions. Doesn't look too bad in contracting. We have Umar Thomas and Gary Beck. So let's go ahead and try to find the... I don't know if we even have a solicitation doc. We have amendments and PWSs. So I guess I'm going to look at the PWS to begin with. <clears throat> so PWS, 14 pages. Remember, this is for five full-time people. They're telling this right off the bat. And your PWS is really what? It's, it's the meat and potatoes of the work to be performed. It's going to be those specific tasks and duties. In this case, if you're going to be uh, hiring or recruiting, it should be providing you the information that you would need to kind of ask and vet, um, even in terms of like qualifications and other credentials that would potentially be required. All that type of information you would be able to find in the statement of work. They are showing us a period of performance here. Base period, this is going to kick off next February, okay, and go through next January. And then there's going to be four option periods. So it will be a base plus four, five years all in. <clears throat> they are giving a breakdown of the tasks, as I was talking about. And you don't really see this. Um, it's kind of surprising, but also very helpful. <clears throat> they are giving us a breakdown of hours. And I believe this is going to be per... Mm, no, it's not per. This is going to be for uh, all because it's it's 9,000, almost 10,000 hours, right? And this makes sense, remember, because I said just a minute ago, it's either going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be 19, 20 hours. So almost 2,000 hours per person. That's what a full-time equivalent equates to in hours. And here, they're showing 9,360. So let's just do the quick math on that. So it's coming in just under 1920. So if you do 1920 times five, you get uh, 9,600 hours. So uh, we're at 9,360 hours. So there might be something with like uh, holidays being off a little bit, <clears throat> but we are quite close. So in terms of these tasks, we have eight. Work in close coordination with ops to handle multiple tasking support. Perform administrative clerical functions, okay? In, in terms of input and retrieval of data. Okay, remember this is administrative and clerical support. So. Um, it's rather intuitive. So provide access control for the front desk, execute functions to in-process and out-process individuals, prepare, obtain, coordinate, uh, let's see, equipment upon arrival and before departure, assign facilities are uh, appropriately secured. Okay, so like there's a log book, prepare, maintain to submit uh, incident reports. And then lastly, ensure specific doors are locked or unlocked. And it's same for the lights being turned on or turned off in the specific areas. They're allocating hours. For, for all of these duties, okay, across the five people. This is like an awesome contract, to be honest with you, because you will be able to find people, five administrative people to do this. It is a five-year contract. This is woman-owned small business. Remember the set-aside on this. And here the, here's the, the, the credentials that we're talking about, those qualifications. So high school or GED, and they want you to have a minimum of two years in admin support. So I think you could find people to do that, right? And then they're saying special qualifications. Contractor personnel must be effective communicators. Okay, so got to be good at communication. 
all five of these people and have the ability to work professionally with uh, diverse groups and the public. Okay. And in addition, um, the work environment is physically demanding. So you're going to have to walk, stand for up to 80% of the time. And then for backfills, replacement and temporary personnel, um, the, the requirements are going to be the same for backfills as well. Okay, so this is extremely straightforward. Uh, I like this so, so, so much. Uh, you have to be able to, you know, recruit, find people to do this and, and maintain them. Uh, <clears throat> the JBSA was Joint Base San Antonio, uh, just for clarification from earlier as well. Now, since we have 10 today, I, I do have to pick up the speed on these. I do want to quickly <clears throat> see what our amendment is. And what did they do? Yeah, they're just extending their response date into January 4th. And I quickly want to look at the, the questions that were submitted. So a lot of questions submitted, a lot of interest, okay? Over 100, 132 questions submitted. So there will be quite a bit of competition on this, understandably. So see, you can, you can see them referencing the 19, 20 hours here in the questions as well. And the government response, um, that's, remember when I said it would probably be a little bit less, the government's uh, clarifying that it's 1872 hours. So that kind of feeds right into our, our working theory there. So we're spot on with our hours estimate. And that's what you would have to, basically what you'd need to bring to this is your rate. Like what is your rate going to be? They're making all these positions equal. They're not identifying anything that's senior um, and junior. So it's just gonna be across the board five of the same exact positions. Not going to go through all these questions, but you would want to if you're going to go after this. This is a host of uh, great information that would help you put together your response. Um, the first question, though, just as I'm closing out, is there an incumbent? The government says there are five incumbents and they have been performing for five years. So some of you know this, some of you don't. But with incumbent personnel, we offer what's called the right of first refusal, which means you have to offer them to keep their jobs. You may be winning this contract at a reduced rate. So your proposal to the, not your proposal, I don't want to confuse you, but your offer to the incumbent employees may be less than what they're getting. And that's okay because they can leave and go on to find another job. Odds are they would accept your offer and then start looking if they were unhappy with the pay. And then in, in a month or two or three, then they're going to screw you. And then they're going to leave the job and you'll have to backfill, which is fine. Cause as we saw, you just backfill it. Things happen. Contracting is used to it. Uh, you know, some of our bid team members that have won contracts and uh, their, you know, incumbent employees have gone on to leave and they have to backfill them. They feel like they've done something bad. You haven't done anything bad. Backfilling is a normal part of staffing. It's totally normal uh, to the extent of people find new opportunities, but people, you know, also retire and, and things just happen. Okay. So contracting knows that. And you just got to make sure you're backfilling as quickly as possible with candidates that have the same, if not greater, you know, credentials that, you know, were previously held in that position. Okay. So it's not a bad thing. It's just the nature of the beast and it's something that you quickly get used to. So we'll go ahead and close this one out. And then I'm going to jump to the chat and then we will move on to our second bid, which is going to be prisoner transportation coordinator, but we'll get to that in just a minute. looks like we have some stuff going on here in the chat. So let's see what is going on. Ken Brown, what's going on? Janitorial business in Baltimore, Maryland. Awesome. Welcome. 
Christian says, I, kid, I've been, you can call me GovKid if you want. I'm not exactly a kid. <laughs> I've been submitting quotes, but I can't get answers from contractors or debriefing. Um, when you say contractors, I imagine you mean subcontractors. Uh, if you're not getting answers from subcontractors, then that could be reason to no bid the opportunity. For example, what you're going after could be very seasonal and they're not looking to take on exist, you know, more business. Their existing business has satisfied them until when the next season opens. So it depends on like what type of work you're going after. If you're going after something very seasonal, they just won't respond to you because they don't want to take on more work, right? So that's something to keep in mind. And then in terms of getting uh, debriefing from contracting officers, yes, it is the slowest time of the year. Yes, contracting officers do not have to offer you a debrief. Our rule of thumb is you, you always want to ask, make it part of your operating procedure to always ask. But um, the more you're in the game, you will find that contracting at times is not very responsive at all. And it's important to learn that up front to not let it frustrate you. You just have to keep moving on. This is why I say we need to play the numbers game because there are a number of variables that we cannot control. So we always ask, we always request for that debrief, knowing that we're not always going to get it. Okay, we'll probably get it less than 50% of the time. For those times that we do get it, it's going to be super beneficial to us. And then it also may give us a, another deeper level of opportunity to establish more of a relationship with contracting. But it's not something you're going to get every time. They're just not going to do it. A Joe Barker FTE is full-time equivalent. Oftentimes it is 1912 or 1872. It's a productive billable hours in a year is typically defined by the customer. hundred percent, hundred percent. Customers haven't caught up with the new. Yeah. Th that's what I was mentioning earlier that, that there's been a slight change in holidays that are changing the hours. hundred percent. They did attach John. They did attach a wage determination on that. I already closed it out, I think, but there was a WD attached, um, but it's a good point. Let me, I can quickly pull it up because uh, I, I was, you know, the same thing went through my head with the holidays, as I mentioned, and they will list what those holidays are. Let me just open up the WD here. Quick control fine. Yeah, so they are citing 11, uh, 11 paid holidays because they've added, uh, they've added Juneteenth. Yeah, they, yeah, they've added Juneteenth to the list, so. Definitely. Um, thanks for the background on that for sure. Black Mamba. Hey, Derek, wanted to ask if it's expected for primes to share the subcontractor contract info and teaming agreement in their proposal, even if the solicitation doesn't ask. Yeah, when it comes to responding to that, it, you, you don't want to provide as many pieces of detailed information over and above what contracting is asking for. But very often they would be asking, say, if you're using a subcontractor's past performance, right? Say if you're doing that, um, they would be asking for references and references are going to be a name and a phone number. So you have to kind of read in terms of like the overall uh, instruction offers, what they're requesting, and also the evaluation, how things are going to be weighted to help determine what information you're going to be providing. Um, but I, like I said, with contracting, even like with pricing, you know, uh, we, of course, we all have our pricing breakdowns and things like this, but we don't just put all that in our proposal. We give contracting the minimum amount of pricing information, um, as minimum meaning only what they're asking for. Okay, you don't want to show them all the goodies. You don't show them everything uh, in terms of your GNA profit breakdown because on these smaller small business contracts, they may just be asking for the pricing clins to be filled out, or they may be attaching a Excel spreadsheet for you to fill out, and that information is not being captured there but that's what they're asking for in submission. So the overall rule is to give contracting exactly what they're asking for, 
don't give them something over and above what they're asking for because that could end up um, not working for you in certain situations. Let's see, we've got Rick uh, 777888. Question, if a solicitation asks for a four-page white paper, is a page considered front and back or is it the front side only? It's it's the front side only. The government does not accept uh, front and back proposals unless otherwise clarified in the proposal. But that's that's not something that they're ever going to do. War Dog, what's going on? Happy holidays, brother. Happy holidays to you as well. Been learning how to navigate dibs. Dibs is interesting. DLA uh, platform received a traceable traceability request, which means I'm going to win God willing. Awesome. Congrats, my man. Keep killing it. I'm so happy to have you uh, hopping in on our holiday episode here today. Always bringing up good cheer and, and good news for our channel. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Awesome. Let's go ahead and, and check out our next bid here, guys. And again, if you're just joining, we're doing a special holiday and Christmas episode. We're doing 10 bids, so we will be going <laughs> definitely longer than normal because we're almost a half an hour in and we've only gone through one and I have 10 lined up. So we're just going to kind of see how it goes. Uh, number two here, we have Prisoner Transportation Coordinator, PTC. This is going to be Department of Justice for U.S. Marshals. This is due actually December 29th. So only a week to go after this one at this point. This is a total small business set aside. However, Kansas City, Missouri, place of performance. And this is a coordinator for justice prisoner and alien transportation system. Sounds like one staffed position to me. We have one attachment, which is the solicitation document. It's 36 pages. We start off with our SF-1449 form. <clears throat> we are hit with a price and CLIN. They are telling us 1500 hours, which yes, we can go along with our theory that it's just gonna be one warm body. Okay, this is going to kick off the beginning of February and go through September. Okay, so it's 1,500 hours. They're going to be looking for your rate and then just your total extended rate, um, which is going to be your hourly rate times the quantity of hours here. Pretty straightforward. We don't have any other attachments, so we have to keep in mind what we have here is what we have here. And you guys, you can also note that, you know, it's it's like the same information that we see, but the, the formatting is a little bit different. Every agency, the way they put this out, the formatting, it just looks a little bit different. And the longer you're in the game, the more that uh, you, you realize that and you become comfortable with that. We are seeing the instruction offers here. But it's not a true instruction to offers. Um, then we're hit with the PWS. So I'm going to quickly scroll through this. We're looking for one person. We've identified the hours. We've identified the, the start and stop dates. We have a general idea outside of, again, like the last bid, the, the requirements and the credentials. Uh, we have a general idea of what this would be required for. I'm looking for more to see if there's anything more to the instruction to offers or any evaluation factors, or is this just going to be a true quote uh, price only, fill out the SF-1449 form, uh, fill out this page 33. But it is looking like that would be the case for, okay, here we go, evaluation factors. 
your proposal will be evaluated using best. So they put it in a letter format. Okay. This is why I'm, I'm telling you, you have to be flexible and you have to be confident. So I'm going to just slow down a little bit here. Confirmation of receipt of quotes is a sole responsibility of the contractor, which is uh, actually, I'm going to hold my comment back on that because contracting very often does not confirm your, your, uh, your response when you ask for it. Any quotes received after 11 a.m. Central will be considered late to ensure questions are okay. Submit questions by the state. Your proposal will be evaluated using best value to receive consideration for award. Offers shall submit their offers along with adequate documentation that supports the factors listed. Documentation shall demonstrate a clear understanding of and the ability to accomplish the requirements stated in the PWS. The following information is provided to potential offers. Proposals are due the 29th. Okay, yada, yada, yada. We know that. Coming down in accordance with the following factors shall be used to evaluate offers. Number one, personnel qualifications. Okay, you, you're going to be looking for a resume. Number two, technical approach for this. Unless they're giving us something more specific, kind of a standard uh, approach could be staffing plan, transition plan, management plan. And then your price, which you saw was for 1500 hours. The award will be made to the offer, providing the best value. The government reserves the right to award to other than, a lot of you guys miss this, to award other than the lowest price, okay, based on the technical merits. Just because you're the lowest price, they don't have to give it to you. That's what they're saying. And then here they do go on to give us, um, so this is what I was looking for, more of the nitty gritty. So they are saying they want resumes of the proposed prisoner transportation coordinator, okay? And the resumes they want to see related experience. They're just saying educational degrees, relevant registrations. They're not giving us anything specific actually, but don't make it longer than three pages. Government will evaluate the proposed. So they're going to go through it. They're going to think, is this good enough? The resumes will be evaluated to assess the availability, qualifications, and experience. Okay. So you want to go through this. Um, number two, factor two, technical approach. Don't exceed 10 pages. Uh, representing your basic understanding of the requirement. So how are you going to provide this person? How are you going to provide this PTC? And then lastly, the price uh, with the completed CLIN structure, which we've already seen for approximately 15 hours. So this is a very cut and dry, very straightforward. There's really not a lot of guesswork. It's just one attachment. We kind of know what we're getting ourselves into. Also another, uh, another, solid, another solid requirement. Yep. And keep in mind with the SCA wage here, guys, uh, S not all contracts are SCA wage. Okay. So they give you the list of the FAR clauses, Service Contract Act. Um, as we kind of quickly scroll through that information, you can look for that. Those clauses will either have an X next to them or they won't have an X next to them. And that's how you know if it actually applies because too often with staffing, um, it's just assumed that everything is SCA wage contract. And, and it's just not, it's just not, it's not always bound into the regulations. So keep that in, in mind as well. And again, what, what is SEAH? It's telling us the minimum we have to pay our people. It's not what you need to pay your people. Okay. It's just, if you look at it, it's from the department of labor and you have to have your actual, what code you're going by. And those codes are not always 
they're not often going to line up. And this is not going to be a lesson on SCAOH, but uh, they're not always going to line up. So what you do is you find what's what's closest, okay? Because if you get questions from DOL or, you know, say you get on these big contracts, right? And like employees start to complain, they could write a letter to the DOL. You know, I've, I've been a part of a company where this was an issue. Um, then the DOL comes in and sh says, okay, show us the, the wage termination. Those are the type of situations you want to best prepare yourself for so that you don't end up, uh, I don't want to say on the short end of the stick, because really the goal is to pay contract workers the minimum amount that they're supposed to be paid. That is the overall goal. And we're all in alignment with that. So hundred percent. Awesome guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. And if you're just joining, we have, um, gosh, one, two, three, four, five, six. We still have eight more bits. So I think we should just keep on going. I don't see any other questions. Next, we have lawn care. Just lawn care ever. Not sure what the ever means. We'll find out. Department of the Interior, January 3rd. Okay. Small business set aside. One, two, three, four, five attachments, statement of work, some photos, solicitation doc, an amendment, and some questions. So let's actually, now that they actually, we have one with a true solicitation doc, which we normally start with. Let's go ahead and start with this one. And it's interesting, right? Because it's lawn care. So you have to think about where is this going to be? It makes sense that this is in Florida, even though it sounds a little silly. It, it's really not silly because a lot of places, they will do uh, contracts for, for year-round seasonal. So they'll do the, the grounds maintenance and the mowing and the trimming and the edging and the weeding and the, the pesticide and all that stuff. But then it'll switch over to snow removal and sidewalk clearing and uh, snow and ice melt and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we don't usually really see that in February for obvious reasons, but this is in Florida. So we had a question earlier about um, subs are getting back to me. And my answer to that was, well, what, like, what is the industry? What is the niche? Are you in something seasonal? Because say, if you were trying to quote a job like this, you may not get a lot of responses. Mm, I'll pause on saying that because you would be calling locally anyways. But if this was like across the board, you might not get a lot of responses because what lawn care companies are are lining up customers for the spring season this early. A lot of them, a lot of them aren't doing it just yet, right? But again, you would be going to Florida to get local quotes on this, and I'm, I'm sure that they would. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't. You would have to find out because uh, I'm 30 minutes from Florida, and we don't even cut our grass once a month. So maybe, maybe they won't be accepting as as many new clients. Just food for thought to to put this narrative together in your head. So SF 1449 form, we are seeing base year is February 15th through the 14th of 2024. So it's going to be a base plus one, two, three, and four years. So five-year contract for lawn care services. And we don't know exactly what that means yet. Uh, and I guess, <laughs> I guess that's all we get. Um, this is just a, the two-page solicitation document. I got a little too excited. I was hoping we would get more, but we'll go ahead and just open up the statement of work here. So they're calling it mowing, pruning, pruning rather, cleanup and trash removal. Uh, looks like those will be the, the primary pieces here. Yeah, state of Florida business license, you know, whatever subs you're working with, they're gonna have to be, you know, licensed and insured, of course actually a little bit shorter than I thought. Um, got a few photos. 
Maintain the trees to a height of seven feet. Okay, so that's there. Quickly see what the amendment is. They changed it from lawn care deso to lawn care ever. I'm not sure what the difference is. But then uh, also the purpose of the amendment was to post the Q&A, which I'm more interested in, which we only have four questions. Number one, is there a ranger station? Yes, there is a ranger station. Number two, why is Florida Class A contractor's license? Because, or no, it says this requirement has been removed. So nice. So this, that's an instance where the contractor caught something and contracting said, oh, you know what? This was probably a copy and paste job from another solicitation. That shouldn't be in there. Let me take that out. Guys, I always tell you, you need to hold your ground. If something doesn't make sense, this is this is a great teachable moment. This is a contractor saying, this doesn't make sense. Why is class A license required? Because they know what's required of class A and this requirement, it didn't line up for them. So they submitted that and contracting says, okay, um, essentially my bad, let's go ahead and, and uh, tweak that. Question number three, please provide the square footage, 280,000 square feet. And then the last question, it actually doesn't matter. They're talking about pea gravel and, and weeding and spraying uh, the year side. So you kind of get the idea here. But in terms of an overall response to this, we do not have any true instruction offers. We don't have any evaluation factors that we've seen or they just haven't been given to us because our solicitation was two pages and our statement of work did not share that. So this would be like a price only bid. You certainly want to read through this a lot more thoroughly than I have, but it's all that they're asking for. So extremely straightforward for this one as well. There we go. Awesome. All right. Question from Rick, triple seven, triple eight. Who do I contact if my Sam Nakes code doesn't match what's in DSBS? The Sam profile was updated days later. It's not updated in DSBS. There, there could be a lag between Sam and DSBS. Uh, Sam feeds the dynamic small business search. So there could be a lag. Um, it sounds like it hasn't been too long, but if you did want to contact somebody, I would just refer you to the federal service desk, which if you go to sam.gov and scroll all the way down to the bottom, contact us, you will see a, a US phone number that you could call in and just say, hey, um, these codes aren't feeding. You know, Is there anything that you can see on your end? I don't know how helpful or how much they will be able to do. They're not going to just go and wave a wand and like magically put it there. But if there is something, again, in terms of a delay or any reason that they know of that could be causing this, maybe a, a glitch in the system, maybe they could share that with you. So that would be the next step that I recommend. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. Good info. Appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. We don't always have a lot of folks from, from LinkedIn, I believe. I don't know if you're on LinkedIn or, or YouTube. I think it's, oh, it actually looks like it's YouTube. So awesome. Awesome. So our next one is Bessie Nursery Seedling Shipment. Okay. This is due on January 11th. Small business set aside. They're just telling you to fill out the SF-1449 form. In response to this, also they're saying right off the bat, submit a technical proposal with a tailored capability statement to meet the requirements. And then also complete other requirements in E and F, which we don't know what those are yet. So we'll keep that in mind as we start going through our three attachments here which look like a solicitation, some pictures, and a WD, wage determination. So we'll just dive into the solicitation and see what's going on. Again, what are we looking at? This is seedling shipment. So they're kind of preparing 
for, and this is ne Nebraska Forest Service, right? So they're going to want these seedlings shipped. So this is going to probably going to have to be uh, some sort of climate controlled uh, transportation, which is what it sounds like to me, so that these seedlings don't get, uh, you know, killed in transport. Anyways, uh, they're looking for it says delivery of uh, November 1st of next year. And then the period of performance is February through November. We'll see if we can get some more background information on that. Seedling shipment. Okay, here we go. So they want 20,680. Mm, no. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, it's quantity and then it's unit. So it sounds like. I mean, there's no, it's not 20,680 miles. It's, it's not. So it's got to be 20,680 seedlings. Um, it's like they've got two units here. I mean, this reads to 20,680 miles. That's what it reads. But then they're asking for like a, a mileage price as the unit price. I, I'm just not so sure about that because the miles don't check out to me. We'll see. Uh, we'll see though. They're giving us a mileage breakdown here. So maybe. Twenty thousand. Okay, so yeah, that is that is the case. So they gave us the mileage breakdown. So it's it's going to be more of a, a route type thing or, or loads. So so that's why the miles are so high. I was thinking it was going to be one delivery. So this this really paints a story for us because we're also seeing look at all these different locations, guys, as as well as delivery dates. You know, so all throughout this February through November period of performance, they're giving an estimated mileage. And these are all originating from this nursery in Nebraska. So we have a central location and they're saying, okay, we're going to go from this Bessie nursery and we're going to send it to Kansas. We're going to send it to Colorado. We're going to send it to Nebraska. What else we got? Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona. Okay. And so they're giving you the estimated mileage for that. So that's super helpful. That paints a much more clear picture. Um, so destinations may change. Actually, delivery date will be determined in accordance with the weather conditions. Okay, all mileage is estimated and the loads may change uh, as well. So some loads may be combined, decreasing the total number of miles. Bidders should carefully review general and technical specifications. Okay, so they're saying the government's going to furnish 48 foot refrigerated trailer. Okay, let's, let's go through that again. The government will furnish a 48 foot refrigerated trailer. So one trailer, 48 feet, and will be responsible for the cost of emergency repairs. Interesting. So if something happens, the government's going to foot the bill, a sort of an emergency. Forest service crews will provide labor for loading and unloading the tree seedlings. Contractor will be responsible for returning the government first trailer to the Bessie nursery. So to me, this reads drivers. Okay. They're looking for drivers because they're saying, hey, the 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 48 foot trailer is going to be government furnished okay and they're also saying hey we're gonna put the, the saplings on the truck and off the truck that way if something happens in uh loading it's going to be on them it's not going to be on the contractor it's they're telling us it's our job to get these saplings from point a to point b which is why this is so focused on the miles it says only government furnished items will be authorized to be transported in the refrigerated trailer, meaning don't put other stuff in there. Don't try and be cute 
and I don't know, use the government equipment to deliver other stuff on the government's dime. Um, my guess is that's kind of the worst case scenario they're trying to hedge against. Just to have your drivers, uh, or in this case, it sounds like driver because it's only one trailer, right? So you could only have one truck pulling one trailer. Liability insurance and provide proof of this at the time of award. So I think this makes a lot of sense. It's not going to be a huge contract by any means. And we did already see again what they wanted for us in pricing. But here's our instruction offers. They're calling out some highlights. Definitely want to stop here. This is super important stuff for you. Technical proposals shall address the evaluation factors. At a minimum, technical proposals shall include a list of similar projects or actual contracts. So past performance, okay, within the last three years and complete a, uh, include a brief description, yada, yada, the typical um, dollar value amount years completed. Okay, so past performance number one. And if that's the case, like this is probably going to be best value. It's probably not going to be LPTA. Technical capability, provide a list of experience and key personnel. So people, okay, experience and key personnel. Guys, there is a difference between past performance and past experience. Sometimes these are used synonymously and they're like, oh, it's just past performance. But when you're asked for both, you're like, well, wait, isn't past performance my past experience? No, okay. Past experiences, previous jobs that you've done, past performance is how well or how you did on those jobs. Okay, how was your performance versus your experience? Like what, what did you do? Okay. And then price proposal. Okay, SF1449 form, as we've seen. Acknowledge any amendments and complete um, the items in section B, right? Reps and certs. And then submit your offer by email to Tina Franken, uh, Frankenberry, USDA.gov. Evaluation, we will find out here what this is going to be. These will be the factors, factor one, two, and three. And I would lay these out in your proposal the very same way. Okay, I would organize your proposal in this same fashion so that you are basically teeing this up to be graded. Okay, you don't want to make contracting hunt for the information. So your table of contents, everything should be in this order and in accordance with these naming conventions. And, and honestly, just use these over and over and over again, unless your proposal tells you to use something different because these are standard. For price, they are saying best value will be based upon the evaluation criteria, which typically if they're asking for these other factors it is likely gonna go best value, which is you know a little surprising because this is not gonna be a high dollar value. This is not a overly complicated or high visibility project even usually when the government goes best value, it's either reflective of a dollar, a larger dollar value, or, and similarly, it's a job that they don't want messed up. Like it's not a commodity buy. Okay. It is something that you could, you could mess up and they don't want that to happen. So they're going to further weed out bids based on best value criteria. Reps and certs. And that's what we got. So that was super, super helpful. And other attachments. Yeah, we had pictures of the trailer. I mean, I'm, we're all dying to know, right? Like, what does this trailer look like? <laughs> okay, so nothing too crazy, but it, it's probably going to be that climate controlled trailer. It's going to be that perfect thing to uh, dependably transport 
these seedlings. And then we do have the, the wage termination as well. So awesome guys. Awesome, awesome. They're looking only for a drive to the 20K miles, 100%. Yep, 100%. So the, those miles that they broke down for us, uh, thing is, guys, like when you're when you're making sense of a requirement and you're doing it like in five five minutes, like like I do, you you start out with exploring all the possibilities it could be, and then you use those those kind of question marks in your mind to then seek out information. I always say the way to read government solicitations is you do not read them line by line, page by page, word by word. Okay, you start out with upfront information that you you know as like kind of empty placeholders that you're looking for. Which is why I always like pause and make a big deal when we're when we look for you know instruction to offers, evaluation factors, pricing, and then anything else that may be miscellaneous that is a big deal. Because I'm going into this thing, I've never looked at these ahead of time. I look at them for the first time ever live and raw with you guys. So that that way, if that's always your approach, if you're always approaching this as kind of like building a puzzle, I say, or trying to turn this into a story that makes sense in your mind. That's the way we want to approach reading solicitations. We don't want to read them again, page by page or line by line, because first off, it's going to be too much jargon and it's going to be too much information at the same time. Um, some cases it's going to be too many attachments. So instead, it's like an Easter egg hunt. We're going in, we're seeking, we're hunting and we're finding to put together our puzzle or, or to write our story in a way that makes sense to us. Because if we can't read, we can't write. Okay, and I say this a lot, we got to learn to walk before we can run. And if you can't adequately read the solicitation and even understand what, what the work is or what contract is asking from you, you cannot make any sort of um, intelligent, you know, bid, no bid decisions. You can't do any sort of analysis or evaluation for your company to determine if this is going to be a good opportunity for you to invest your time in, especially most of you guys, your small business teams of one, two and three. So you have to be super, super cognizant and, and, and weary of where you're going to put your time to make sure you're investing it in revenue generating activities. So I always say read before you can run, build the puzzle. Okay. Uh, write the story and then you can start running. You can start writing all that good stuff. Um, let's, we've got, uh, um, M I'm not sure how to pronounce this mide mide or just mde i'm not sure this is good i've been binging this live trainings been learning a lot from them hey that's awesome i i really appreciate that feedback and more importantly i'm glad that they help um would you need your cage code to register in dips um i don't comment on that i don't do anything with with dla i'm all in on sam.gov um so yeah i'm just not gonna comment on that i i would say do your research i'm sure there's other people that do a lot of stuff in dibs um and I think you could probably quickly find that answer, but I just kind of make it a point to not really talk about dibs at all for sure. And we, we probably have somebody in the chat who already knows that, that uh, answer that's willing to share that. I'm just not, I'm not going to share it, that answer. Uh, so we'll just keep the train rolling here. Yeah. You're, yeah. hundred percent. You're good. You're good. Um, we have AI talent 2.0 RFP. Okay. Lots of short acronym -y type titles here. So this is going to be for the army, uh, January 20th, small business set aside. Please see attached request for proposal. And we do have a couple of documents, solicitation doc, 
um, attachment one, two, and three. Attachment three is PWS. Attachment two is <laughs> also PWS. And then attachment is going to be a questionnaire instructions and evaluation criteria. So that's going to be super helpful. And again, and, and since this is rather uh, unique sounding, right? Um, we, we're checking the NAICS code. This is a 541715 NAICS code for research and development. Okay, so we always want to make sure we make note of NAICS codes for solicitations that we may be interested in that are not already on our list. We want to keep building on our list because we just never know what NAICS code, unfortunately, or even PSC codes contracting is going to use. Um, sometimes they will use something outside of our, our Rolodex of search parameters. So let's go ahead and dive into the solicitation doc. See what we got going on with this. We're hit with our SF1449 form. You know, we're anticipating this to be AI. We we hate this type of text, right? But we're we're used to it. They're saying the government intends to issue 10 of these BOAs. BOA, what does BOA stand for? It stands for uh, uh, Basic Ordering Agreement, okay? So they're going to issue 10 of these to the responsible offer whose submission conforms to the solicitation and will be most advantageous to the government. The BOA will be reviewed at least annually, if not more, uh, more quickly than that. And it's not going to exceed five years. An estimated ceiling and everything is going to be uh, 249 million. So, so this is like, it's like a vehicle. Okay. The government has, you know, unique names for these different types of vehicles. What, what you guys need to know is it's, it's a vehicle that the government is going to issue task orders against over a buying period. In this case, it's not going to be over five years. Okay. So when you win this, you don't actually win some, something in terms of like a dollar value. Uh, you win the opportunity to be on the vehicle to go after these task orders. And, you know, we, we look at things like multiple award may talks. We also look at like, you know, BPAs, blanket purchase agreements. And, and don't get too, you know, geeked out about these things. So there is going to be on-ramping and off-ramping. If this is an existing uh, contract that they onboard every five years, it could be the case. I really kind of just want to get into what the work is going to be. And the, the, the text is not, it's not very friendly. It makes it very hard to read, to find sections, to navigate because we, we don't read page by page, line by line. Our clauses, right, okay. So we'll see what other documents we have to work with. I, I went through that entirely too fast, but I'm just looking for those quick answers right now. We do have the PWS. I just want to know what kind of work this is. Ethical principles of AI. 
okay. This is this is the PWS. I mean, it says. Oh, okay. This is the well. This is the OA PWS. It's hard to even make sense out of the government's um, naming conventions sometimes. And this is exactly what you guys are going to be going through on your end, which is why I like to just do this live with you. It's like you have to figure this stuff out. It takes it takes a minute, and the more experience and the more repetitions, the more volume you get in, the more your confidence builds, and it doesn't scare you as much. It just takes a little bit of extra time sometimes. So this is not this is not really what we're looking for right now. I'm going to open up this other attachment, which appears to be a Word doc here. Let's see here. Agile coach. So they're giving us labor categories. What is this? They're giving us definitions of labor categories. I mean, somewhat helpful. Okay, so these are going to be labor categories that those those task orders are going to be pushed out against. Okay. Um, and IT positions, right? Data analyst, business analyst, uh, enterprise architect, forensic analyst. They're just kind of giving us like those basic broad definitions of what those are going to look like. What is this questionnaire instructions? So phase one is to separate the AI centric companies from the staffing companies. We want companies that have deep understanding, you know, they're going to want more of like the, the AI centric companies. So we want companies that have a deep understanding of the AI space and employees with corresponding quals and certs. We want to push out the recruiting agencies. They're being very bold about that. I've actually never seen something so, so bold when it comes to that point. We don't want staffing companies. We don't want you to just find the people. Okay. We want companies that are AI centric, like, companies that are already doing other things, other projects, other capabilities in the space themselves that are going to be able to provide these labor categories. And they're saying they want to push out. So basically like it's your job to make yourself appear. You want to lead with your best foot forward as an AI centric company. I mean, that's what everybody's going to do. Like sell yourself. And this is going to be phase one of, evaluations this is this is different guys this is different than what we typically look at it's potentially uh, much larger let me check the what was the set aside on this again this is total small set aside just not the standard and that's okay because the more different things you you get to know are out there the more well-rounded you will be okay so again this phase will dig into corporate experience like company experience not subs past performance like company experience and determine whether companies have adequate history in the field of ai Examples should include, but are not limited to, how how you contributed or directly developed an AI solution, okay, within industry, within academia, or within the government. And then number two, the general scope and description of of the solution that you did, okay, with all of its complexity. So, if you are a AI centric company, like you you may be all over this. You may love this, right? Because a lot of companies are going to pre be precluded because this is also small business set aside. So the big boys are not able to get in on this. So if you are one of those rare, you know, IT slash AI focused, AI centric companies, then that's really the information that the government's wanting you to share. And then they're giving us their instruction to offers. They're telling you straight up what they want in, in your cover letter. 
sign SF 1449 form and their evaluation. Again, we, we kind of already uh, looked at the this being best value. And then here's some questions, which we don't see all the time, but it is like point blank. Does your company have experience providing backfills for highly qualified technical personnel with a maximum to replace uh, within 30 business days? Okay. So you would write to these. Can your company demonstrate five years of recent relevant corporate experience? Is your company capable of managing a call order with 10 personnel anywhere in the U.S.? Can your company provide demonstrable use cases that have resulted in expeditious fulfillment in AI, ML, and data science? Okay. So also, you know, machine learning, of course. So this is what we're looking at for our response on this. So this is not going to be a fit for many, but those of you who are in this space, again, check this out. It's due, well, yeah, it's due January 20th. So you have just under a month, a little bit. I mean, it's not a lot of time, but the response does not look so large that it would not give you enough time to go after it because you're not going to really be relying on, on subs for something like this. This is going to be you using your company information to respond to, which you should be able to do. All right, guys. Well, we've hit our hour mark and I think we are about halfway through. So uh, we made it so far. If you guys are liking this, smash the like button. If you are on, on YouTube or wherever you're at, smash the like button. And if you're watching and you're not subscribed to the channel, consider subscribing uh, so that you can ask your questions on future live streams. If you guys do have more uh, questions pertaining to your business, anything like that, feel free to post those. Checking the chat here. Be more Batman says there is so much information that they put into these. You're right. There is a lot of information, which is why we can't read line by line. We have to look for, you know, five to 10 things. Okay. And, and when you're looking and you're empowered and you know what you're doing, then we don't get so overwhelmed and inundated with uh, the information that they are giving us. Brian Holmes, Army Strong. Uh, hoorah. Awesome, man. Definitely. Joyce Munga. Thanks. You got it, Joyce. Uh, Adam, to register as a small business on Sam, what are the basic requirements? So Adam, there is no registration process, or let me say, there is no special certification process to obtain a total small business set aside. Okay, It is the only set aside in the federal space that's acknowledged that does not require a special certification. So woman owned, hub zone, 8A, you know, VOSB, SDVOSB, these set asides, they all have their own unique and different certification processes that can take three to six months uh, is the going rate for these nowadays. And this, it's going to be uh, basically a lot of information based. So uploading information, providing information to the evaluators for total small business set aside, you are automatically that as long as your, uh, the next codes of the work that you're going after, you know, those size standards, you, you have to be a small business in accordance with those next codes. So really, what does that mean? So say if the next code is $10 million, then your three-year um, trailing average revenue for your company shall not exceed 10 million, okay? Otherwise, you'll have to do like a cool down year for that next code and you will not, you know, you shall not exceed that so that you can gain your small business status back. Um, in accordance with that next code and the size standards. Okay. So essentially it's, it's most next codes, it's revenue-based. 
There are some NICS codes where it's employee-based, where you shall not exceed like 500 employees, which most of you would not um, when it comes to like manufacturing and stuff. So you just want to make sure you can go to Google SBA NICS code uh, table, size standard table. You can pull it up and it'll show you all the different thresholds again for three years, not just one year. It's a three-year trailing average that you shall not exceed for those three years. Um, otherwise, you will not be considered a small business to go after contracts with that NICS code. So it sounds more complicated than it is, but um, hopefully that makes sense. Short answer, there's nothing you have to do. You just have to be a small business with uh, not a lot of revenue relative to the next codes you're going after. Kate's Cube, do you see these government contracts, uh, that these government contracts need persons with hazmat endorsement? Um, it totally depends. I mean, that's more of a, a, a niche industry and scope specific question. So it, it would depend on what, solicitation or requirement you're looking at going after um, those type of specific requirements would be written to the solicitation and you could use like a control find um, if you're looking for hazmat or hazard hazardous material requirements use that to quickly navigate the documents to see if that is in there but again it's really going to depend on what you're looking at that's not a, that's not a general requirement that we that we see this is an interesting contract i like this one 100 um I'm, and i'm sharing my screen so that you can um you can uh, look at these on your own by all means. Uh, I have SDVOSB and our focus is providing professional IT services. How did you learn to write proposals to win these sort of contracts? The way that I learned is I worked for a government contractor who was, we were in the IT slash spa, uh, staffing space and then we expanded into a lot of other industries. So I got a really well-rounded um, education doing that. And I kind of just got thrown into the deep end. I mean, that's how I learned. I did get to spend some time under my boss who wrote proposals and uh, we had some other, you know, SMEs, technical writers and proposal writers and just kind of being immersed in the space. But when it comes to responding to proposals, here's the thing to remember, if you're brand new and you've never done this before, you just give the government what they want. And what you do is like, I, that's why I say you have to learn to, to walk before you can run. You have to read before you can write, because if you're not learn, if you don't know how to read, you don't know how to write. And those who don't know how to write, I always tell them, well, you're not reading the solicitation or you haven't gotten good enough at reading the solicitation because the writing part is, is it for very large proposals. It can be very you know cumbersome and be a lot of, a uh, lot of effort, but especially for our, our type of contracts, our small business contracts under 10 million, they're not that difficult to understand how to put it together once you know how to read and, and find these things, okay? There may be a, a question or two that you have that you're unsure about, but generally speaking, you you know how to do this, okay? Once, once you have some experience reading and learning through these things. Um, so again, you want to give the government what they're asking for. We have the the holy grail, like the three things they could potentially ask for: technical, past performance, and price. So we can start out with those as price as placeholders, rather in our in our word document. Um, reflect that in your table of contents, and then when you read to the solicitation, well, if they're not asking for past performance, you want to take that out. You don't want to give them something they're not asking for, right? And then furthermore, like a number of the examples we looked at today, they say we want a technical approach. Okay, we I need a technical. Cool. And then they tell you what they want. So either they want resumes or they want staffing plans, management plans, quality control plans, things like that. Or they want you to write to the requirement to demonstrate to contracting that you understand this 
and demonstrate how you're going to do the work, not just parrot back the statement of work to them, but what is your company's spin on it? Like, how are you going to do it? They tell you, most times they tell you that that's what they want you to do. You just have to be able to read that and find that. And then you're just like, okay, I know I just need to write it. And then you move on to playing a different game. Okay. So Adam, Adam uh, Bush, uh, thanks for the information. hundred percent. Do you have a resource that I could reach out to for help on that? I mean, we, we have our bid team. This is what we focus on. We focus on um, doing your first bid responses on Sam and then also building out a pipeline so that you can win your first, uh, your first or your first few contracts, um, your first year in the game. So if you're interested in the resources and, and my direct coaching on that, um, that is what we offer in our bid team. That's really like the main thing that I offer these days. And you can learn more about that on my website. If you're interested, just go to govkidmethod.com and we'll have a lot of information there. There are 26 training videos so far. Yes, this is actually episode number 26. I promise you, if you watch them and practice every day, you will be decent. These are uh, gems. Hey, thank you so much for saying that. And um, I don't know if that means you've watched all 26, but it definitely sounds like you've watched your uh, your first, uh, your fair share rather. And yeah, like, you know, the thumbnails look the same and it's one episode after next. But yes, every episode is different. We look at different things. There's so many things that are the same where you get to start to get the repetition in, you get those reps in. But then there's also different situations where uh, you get to add to your learning each time as well. We try to build in both. Um, wow, that's that's awesome. And again, I apologize. Me Day is what, is what the name looks like to me. Um, so thanks for so much for sharing that and, and kudos to you for staying on top of the, the episodes. And it's really cool to hear that you've done that. And as you're saying, if you practice every day, you will be, you will be decent at it. That's really, really cool to hear. So let me get my bearings here. All right. COVID and flu testing services is our next bid. And then as we're, we're at our halfway point. I don't know if I'll make it. I may just out talk myself here, but we're going to keep going. Um, we will have after this, we'll have custodial services just so you guys have a refresher here, shuttle services. And then we have two yellow ribbon events. Okay. So those are at the end here for January 20th and January 28th. So that's what we have on the docket, starting with COVID and flu testing services. This one's due January 17th, and this is SDV OSB set aside. Okay. So only our service disabled vets. And this is, of course, with the VA. Got a bunch of copy and paste out of the solicitation jargon here. Not very friendly to read, so we'll just skip to the attachments. We have a solicitation doc. We have SF-1449 form. Statement of work, wage determination. They, the VA is really big on this, pushing limitations on subcontracting. Uh, so no illegal middle manning, no pass through type stuff. Like they, they need this to go to SDV OSBs uh, and they're making a whole attachment about that, which the VA, like we're seeing all the time now. And then exhibit A historical data. So I think this one is a solicitation. We'll go ahead and get started with this. And again, what are we looking at? COVID and flu testing services. Here we go. And again, see how this formatting is different? Like, okay, Midei is right. Awesome. I just caught that out of my glance in my eye. Yes, Midei is right. Awesome. See how the formatting is different? Like the VA, they always use this like blue, blue kind of formatting, the tra traditional Microsoft Word uh, header and footer type, type deal. 
This is only six pages. South Texas Veterans Health Care System. San Antonio specifically. This document is fairly lacking. They're telling us it's due January 17th and they're referencing attachments. So not overly helpful. We'll see what the other document is with the SF-1449. So here's more of the true solicitation. This is 73 pages. Starts with the SF-1449 form. Table of contents. So we're hit with our pricing claim. Okay, 22,000 each. So contractors shall provide COVID-19, uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, collection and testing in accordance with the statement of work. This is going to kick off March of next year and go through February the year following. Looks like it's going to be a leap year in 2024. It'll go through February 29th. So again, provide the COVID collection and testing as one clean line item, then also provide testing without collection and then provide COVID and flu testing and then provide contractor site facility charge contractor costs to perform collection services. Our units are changing here. So it's going to be like 22,000 each. Okay. So it's going to be for each like collection. It sounds like, and then 4,000 testings without the collection, then 500 for the flu. And then this is going to be a contractor site facility charge. It's going to be like per month. So extended over 12 months. That's the whole base year. So the whole base year is made up of these four different tasks. And this is how you price them in accordance with each of these. You will fill out these pricing cleans. And then we'll go into the option years for option year one, two, three, and four. Those will all likely be the same. And then we have our grand total. Our delivery schedule is going to reflect the same thing, except it's going to show those dates of going through next year, starting with next year and going all the way through. Crazy, man. Uh, 2028. I mean, I'm going to freak out once we start seeing POPs in 2030. It's just, it's absolutely crazy that we're, that's where we're at these days. <laughs> um, what else we got? We are just doing our scroll here. Contract terms and conditions. Yeah, guys, um, here's the limitations on subcontracting the, the LOS. Okay, services 50%, right? Government shall not pay more than 50% to a uh, prime contractor or a contractor that is a not a similarly situated entity, right? So that means 50% of the money, layman's terms, 50% of the money has to go to SDVOSB, okay? Whether it's you as the prime or a similarly situated entity, um, at least 50% needs to go, okay? But, you know, if you're working with a sub that happens to be SDVOSB, which you're probably not going to find because they'll probably go direct. But for example, if you did have a sub that's SDVOSB, they are considered similarly situated entity. They can do 100% of the work, 99% of the work, 98% of the work, um, but it's just, it's unlikely in these type of, uh, small business set asides, really the, the most 
space you're going to have to do something like that is for total small business set asides, which you're not really going to see at the VA. Um, but again, like that limitation on, sub, on subcontracting, um, I'm releasing a whole legal middleman method uh, approach so that you guys are in compliance because there is so much information out there that's just telling you to pass through this stuff. And people go to jail for that. People have to pay restitution for that. You've got to make sure that you are, are doing it in compliance with the limits on subcontracting, meaning do not circumvent government monies, meaning a minimum amount of the monies needs to go to where it's supposed to go. And again, if you learn uh, limitations on subcontracting, it does not apply on contracts, for example, that are below the set. So under 250K, it does not apply. It also does not apply to contracts that are not set aside for small business. So contracts that are full and open, you know, it's a small business regulation. So on non-small business contracts, it also does not apply. So there's a number of nuances to learn so that you can master this. And I recommend everybody master your LOS so that you don't um, get that incorrect. So we're hit with a the initial instruction offers, which is copy pasted from the FAR. But then we have the addendum where we're hoping to get more specifics saying, hey, okay, what is contracting really looking for in my response? So offer is to complete the SF1449 uh, page, print, sign, and date those blocks. Offer is to submit pricing with the proposal. Okay, you can complete the pricing schedule or you can provide it in your own format. So they are giving you that uh, that liberty to do that. Offer shall provide copies of all professional certifications, license and renewal certs required um, to include the contractor labs director and or medical director. Again, this is because this is for, can't believe we're taking so much time on this one actually. This is for COVID and flu testing services. That's why they need to see that. They want a QA plan with your proposal, not when you win the contract in this case, they wanna see your uh, quality assurance plan, your QASP, with your actual proposal, okay? Submit performance improvement plan. So all these things, you should literally, to the question earlier about responding to technical proposals, you need to use this. Like literally I would copy and paste these as placeholders and then write to those and then like take out the the, the jargon that, that shouldn't be in there so that you're writing page by page, apples to apples to what the government is asking for. Like this is how you write proposals. You write it by giving what the government's asking for exactly. They want implementation plans. So the formatting here is not very nice. I would like to see bullets. I would like to see factors. Okay, they're just kind of like smashing sentences and paragraphs together, which makes it a little bit cumbersome to structure and organize in your head so that you can actually put that on your proposal doc. But uh, this is why we do need to like, you need to slow down here. You need to spend a lot of time here because everything you put together is gonna to be built off of this. And there's no point of putting together a response, investing time in a solicitation where you're not 100% that you're giving the government what, what they need, okay? So also they want a description of the location. They want three current or past performances. See how they're not breaking out? Like this is the past performance piece, but you would totally miss it if you didn't read this. So you gotta slow down and read this. So that's instruction offers. And then this is evaluation factors, technical past performance price. Remember those three placeholders, they're actually asking for all three of those. And, but they're saying when these first two are combined, technical and past performance are combined, it's significantly, it's significantly more important than price. Meaning lowest price is not gonna win this. Like it's very, very unlikely lowest price is gonna win this. 
this is going to be best value trade-off or just straight up best value. And they're looking at these two things. They really don't want you to mess this up. That's what they're saying. And you're not going to mess it up <laughs> because if you're someone who's going to mess it up, they're going to see that and you're not even going to make it past round one probably of your proposal being evaluated. From fixed price, standard, Vince Farrell. Reps and certs. And yeah, so I think we spent enough time on this one. We did get to touch on a few points, which I think is important. And we even got to group in our LOS a little bit, limitations on subcontracting on that. What do we got going on in the chat, guys? And if you're just joining, welcome us. We are more than halfway now. We're doing a special episode for Christmas and for the holidays. This is our final Sam Nakov's live bid training of the year of 2022. I'll be taking a couple of weeks off, and then we're going to hit the new year back stronger than ever in 2023. I'm super excited. Got some new things planned. And just looking forward to um, continue to do it with our community and all of you awesome people. Checking in on the chat here. Legal middlemaning is when you try to do a pass-through instead of doing the assigned part of the contract. Yeah, yeah. So thanks, guys, for helping out in the chat. Hey, D, what do you mean by legal middlemaning? Yep. Um, it's, it's basically just not abiding by limitations on subcontracting. Uh, doing illegal pass-through schemes is technically what it's called. And, um, and John Barker limitations on subcontracting excessive pass-throughs. Exactly. Exactly. You guys. And, um, I do, I don't know if I talk about it in my, uh, my free, uh, masterclass on my website, but again, I will be pushing out in January. It's already created. I'm just waiting to push it out, but I will have a, a legal middleman method where we spend a lot of time, um, on two things. It's just going to be focused on two things, the FAR and all the regulations, um, that, you have to make sure you know and you understand to do this properly if you are wanting to work with subcontractors. And the second piece is working with those subcontractors so that you are, are using the right, uh, I guess, SOPs with them. Um, to, you know, because working with working with subcontractors can be like herding cats, I love to say. It, they're like little kids, okay? So we also focus on working with subs to obtain those quotes and to make sure the subs are doing the things that the way they need to be doing them. Um, so that also you are in uh, compliance. So one of the one of the inside looks of what we're going to be pushing out next next month, actually. Brian Holmes is good info on the subcontracting. Oh, it's huge! Like it's it's definitely everything. Yeah, Jay Storm. Um, you there's certain situations where you can outsource 100% of the work, and there's certain situations where you cannot outsource 100% of the work. That's what I'm saying. You need to understand. Um, it's you people go to jail for outsourcing hundred percent of the work under the wrong circumstances. Uh, if like, if they get caught and you don't want to play that game. So, all right. Mrs. D uh, yes. Miss D when you're bidding on a lodging contract, do you add in your profit in the unit price or just give them the true price and add in your services with the total price? It, Miss D it's going to depend on what, how they are asking the pricing to be broken down. A lot of time with lodging contracts, they're just asking for one number or they're asking for like a rate extended, right? Um, and if that's the only place that they're giving you, you're not just giving the, the bare bones like hotel rate. You're, you're giving your um, your fully billable rate, okay? You're like you're fully, it's not, it's not like a wrap rate, but it's just your, your all-in number. 
to, you can think about it that way. You, because you may not have another, like, you're not going to have another opportunity to like put your fee. The government doesn't usually be like, okay, put your cost here and then put your fee here. You know, you might see that in construction projects with material and labor, and then they give you like, okay, 8% or whatever, like put it down. But for services, it's usually just all in. Okay. So all in, but again, the, the most accurate answer is going to be, how is the government asking for you to present the pricing? James, should I register for a UEID as my name or my company name, sole proprietor? It's up to you. Thing is, you you should have a business and then you're taking that business to register it in SAM. Okay, so business first, SAM second. Okay, and the first part of the SAM registration is that unique uh, identifier ID or unique ent entity ID. Um, so, I mean, it's up to you what you want to do. If you're going to be a sole, sole proprietor, that's like, that's fine. Um, even sole proprietor, even LLCs, when it comes to this are, are considered sole proprietors because you're either going to be a sole proprietor or you're going to be an S corp or a C corp. And when you only get those options uh, and you're looking for the LLC box, it's not there. It's going to end up being a sole proprietor anyways. So um, you, you may see that as well. So it's, it's really up to you. Uh, I can't really tell you what you, you should do my name or my company name. Um, if you're going to be approaching this through your business, then it would be your business name. If you're trying to like use your social security number to place yourself on a contract, which some people do, then I, I would use your name because I've also seen that. So for example, janitorial contracts, right? We uh, say we want to do the work ourselves. Say it's in our neighborhood. Um, you could bid on a contract. You could register yourself as a person and then make yourself like the staffed person. But that's very different than a, a company approach where you're going to find um, a sub or you're going to find personnel to do the work. So I guess that's the rightest answer to you. What is your approach to the work going to be? Is it going to be company focused approach? If so, use a company name, in my opinion. And if it's going to be like a you approached thing, then use your personal name. Um, Kai Sun, hey, bro, still in the fight, a lot of progress made in the arena. Hey, Kai, nice to see you, man. I definitely recognize the name and and remember. Um, glad that you're in the fight. How are things going? Uh, James Chavez, please explain outsourcing 100% of the work. Um, I have touched it on a few times. Um, it's a lot to go into in the live, but limitations on subcontracting does not. There's really th three things, okay? If you want to take notes, you want to do 100% middleman, there's really only three ways you can do this, okay? Number one. The job has to be under the simplified acquisition threshold has to be under the sat which is 250k currently so if the job's under 250k base and all option years okay not just the first year but all the years um if it's services or whatever then it doesn't apply okay so you can do whatever you want number two if it is not a small business contract if it's full and open you can also do whatever you want because it doesn't apply number three okay similarly situated entities Okay, so if if the money is going to where it needs to go, meaning you, let's let's take professional services example, limitations on subcontracting 50%, right? Or construction 15%, or specialty trade contractors 25%, or products 50%. Okay. You have to do 50% of the work, or similarly situated entity has to do 50% of the work. So in the instance of need kind of an example for this. 
you know, if the contract is SDV OSB set aside, so service disabled set aside, you're, you have to be SDV OSB first off to even win that. So as the prime, but then if you want to sub to say, do hundred percent of the work, as you said in your question, you only way you could do that in this third instance, you know, say the contract is set aside for small business and it is over 250 K, right? The only way you could do that is if you found a SDV OSB subcontractor who is similarly situated, you can have them do as much of the work as you want. Okay. Up to hundred percent. That's totally compliant. It's totally fine. Why is it okay? Because the money is going where the government wants it to go. The government's trying to pump money into SDV OSBs. So the problem comes where the, the government's trying to award to these small business programs and give money to eight A's into hub zones and service disables and total small businesses. And then they take like their five to 10% markup and then a large business comes in and, and does it or another small business comes in and does it, but maybe they don't have that particular set aside. So maybe just a total small business is doing it and it's not a veteran company. So, Hey, we're trying to give money to vets and then it's not going to vets. That's the problem. So they have to put penalties in place for people who do that. So there's only those three circumstances where you can legally 100% uh, middleman a, a contract. If you're outside any of those parameters, then it's illegal and you're at risk of getting caught. Okay. And there's a lot of misinformation in the space on this, which is why I'm, I'm going to be pushing out a, a new, uh, a new product next year to learn this in depth so that you master it and you never have to question whether you're doing it right again. Um, so that's as, as much detail as I'll go into it. But those are literally the three points. If you know those points, then you know the most important stuff. John, you always have to bring value. Subcontracting diminishes your value and profits. So you, yes, it does. So if you are doing 100% as a strategy, you won't last long in this game. You remember the end of War Dogs, right? 100% guys, the goal is to be involved in the contracts as much as possible. Like that's the goal. And, and so this can be a stepping stone for many of you, but it's, it's not like your two to five year strategy. Okay. But a lot of you who struggle with the chicken and the egg thing of how to get into this, that's why the government does right. Um, in the FAR, for example, you can use predecessor companies, key employees or subcontractors past performance. Okay. That's not something that we made up. The contracting is telling that to us or, or another one, you shall not be favorably un or unfavorably rated if you don't have past performance. So we utilize these things to transition into the space, but the goal is over time for you to be getting more and more involved in learning this stuff, because honestly, like you're going to need it to go after bigger and bigger contracts. Uh, you're just going to need to learn it and you're going to need to have a, a better grasp on, on these, on these things. So these, these are, these are stepping stones. Jay Storm. Thanks D. Thanks everyone. I haven't seen that movie yet, but everyone on, on the space tells me that I need to. Um, I'm so glad that's on your radar. I'm so glad that you're not taking a blind eye because so many do and it scares the hell out of me. I pardon my, pardon my, uh, my French here, but, uh, I, there's people out there that are telling you to do that, which is why I'm taking a total opposite approach saying, no, you need to learn how to do this the right way. Um, Ida, that's good info. Didn't know that. Now you do. Um, you just answered my question that was in my head for a SDVOSB subbing to SDVOSB. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like you're thinking this through Bryant. Um, glad that you are. Miss D, can you get a hub zone cert if you work from home and your home may be in a hub zone? So I'm not an expert on hub zone, but there's, there's two things that come into place with hub zone certifications. It's not the residents only, but it's also, I think somewhere around 33, 35% of the employees 
as well. So if you're a team of one, you may be able to get away with it. But my recommendations, uh, Miss D, is that you don't get started trying to collect all of the set-asides like they're Pokemon. My goal is for you to get registered in SAM, um, become able to be able to go after contracts, and then to get in the game to start uh, bidding on contracts. That That's going to be the biggest bang for the buck of the time that you're investing. And uh, I, I always say set-asides are something to grow into because what's the point of, of taking six months to get a set-aside and then you still don't know how to bid on a contract? Like it doesn't do anything for you. If you're serious about this, you're actually trying to make money. You're trying to win contracts. You're trying to build a business. Uh, you have to generate revenue, which means you need to cut. You need to prune all those activities that you're doing that are not directly related to generating revenue when you get started. Um, be, otherwise, like you're not going to have, you're not going to be in business for very long. So you need to focus on learning these things and, and you don't start out 100% perfect. Nobody starts out knowing how to do this 100% perfect. That's why we do these lives, for example, and I have so many lives trainings, as, as Mide mentioned, this is episode number 26. Uh, I'm, I'm putting emphasis on the area that should be the thing that bridges the Grand Canyon for you. Okay, so going through these trainings, these this training should get you to the point of building your confidence, developing some skill sets uh, and, and maybe some systems and some procedures that you want to you want to steal here. Uh, to implement into your own business so that you can start finding contracts, you can start reading them, you can start you know, teeing up your proposal outlines, you can start working on your pricing, and you can start doing your proposal responses so that you can start bidding and getting numbers on the board and getting in the game. Because that's ultimately how you win contracts. You win contracts by bidding on them. You don't win contracts by collecting set-asides, getting on GSA schedules, um, by holding you know dozens of capability briefings by going to government conferences those things do not win you contracts bidding on contracts win you contracts these other things are supplemental that you can grow into even responding to source of sought notices unless you're 8a trying to do sole sources responding to source of sought do not win you contracts okay these are supplemental you 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 don't take protein shakes without eating food first, if you're trying to work out and you're building muscle, right? You don't want to just down protein shakes and all your aminos and all this stuff. You have to eat your meals. You have to eat real food and then you supplement. And that's for everybody. That's, that's not just for Mrs. D, but that's like, that's, that's a soapbox for everybody. Cause I hear this a lot. <clears throat> James says, thank you. hundred percent. HB to God. I caught a live. Yeah, you made it. I've been listening to you on Spotify at work. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out and, and welcome to the live. We guys, if you don't know, we are on Spotify. So we do have a podcast. So if you're a podcaster, uh, you like to do a lot of the driving and listening like I do. Um, all these episodes are on there as well. Bryant says, yes, compliance is everything. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes. 35% of the employment must live in hub zone. There you go. 35. It's a bit strenuous. Should be grown into. Totally, totally agree. Training helps with pattern recognition and creating a framework. Yep. The thing is, like, when you're a team of one, two, and three, you, you can't delegate. Like, you have to do it yourself when you're getting started. So the way to make sure you're doing the most important things is, like I said, by focusing on revenue-generating activities, things that are, you know, backing into responding to a bid is the best-case scenario that you can make for that. And, and you need to identify and take a personal inventory of saying, okay. And, and so you guys have been doing for this for the last six, nine, 12 months, and you haven't gotten the results that you wanted. This is maybe even a good like new year type thing to do. 
even though the new year was technically in October. Um, but for, for the calendar year for all of us, like what did you spend your time on and what was the output that you got? So like, what was, what was the input you had and what was the output that resulted? What are the ones that worked well? Let's keep those. Then what were those investments of time that you made, those inputs that you made that did not result in things? And I'm just telling you from lots of experience and working with many clients, um, a lot of you are not productive in the right ways because you're using your time on the wrong things. Like you have the time, you're doing the work, um, but then you don't have anything to show for it. And if you do that long enough, you're going to get disheartened. Your morale is going to drop. You're going to think this is too hard. You're going to think that you can't do this versus if you're being more productive, then you get to feel things building. You get to feel the momentum. You get to feel like I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. Or I can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you know, like, you know, when you're making progress, you know, when you're getting better. And if you don't feel that you are, you're either not doing the work or you're, you're doing the work in a way where you're putting emphasis on the wrong things. And that's all I'm, I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting a realignment of doing more of the things that will be productive that are going to build you in the positive direction. So if you are somebody who's been trying to do this for the last three to 12 months, maybe more, and you're not where you want to be, or you haven't gotten the outcomes that you want, maybe you haven't even won one contract, then once you put that much time into it, you do have enough data to work with, enough feedback to look, you know, enough to look back on and, and gain feedback rather to evaluate again, where you're spending the time and wherever we spend our time as an investment, it's a vote. They say every dollar is a vote, but I think every minute, every hour we invest in something is also a vote. So what are the things that you're voting for in your business that you don't want to elect that you don't want to vote for in, in 2023, that, that singular activity in itself could be something that, does a total 180 for your business. It totally changes the trajectory. And it, and even if it's a small thing, even if you change trajectory, it's a hard word to say, <laughs> trajectory, even if you change it by an inch, right? Over time, that inch becomes a mile. So just by doing that one activity, if that's something that is resonating with you as, as we're talking about it right now, I highly, highly recommend that you do it. It's something that I, I, I I stress to everybody on our bid team. It's something that I, I do myself and um, just even in all areas of life. Where did you, what did you vote for? What, where did you invest your time? How did that go for you? It's pretty simple, but too, too many of us, we keep doing the same thing and then we complain or we just get depressed about the outcome and the result. No, like we can't live there, man. We got to live in momentum. We got to live in positivity. We got to, uh, live in productivity because these are the only things that we can actually control. We can't control the outside circumstances, but we can control what we're doing and what we're working on. That's what we have control over. And like, that's the whole name of the game. So you guys got me preaching at this point. <laughs> James says, must I be LLC before I register for an, a, a unique entity ID? And what I'm saying is you have to have a business registered with your state and you have to have a, like a TIN, uh, a tax ID number, which in the form is going to be either a social security number or an EIN, an employee ID number. So you have to be registered in your state, you know, your articles of incorporation, all that good stuff. And you have to also be registered with the IRS to get a tax ID number. You need those two things to bring to Sam because Sam is registering a business. 
if you don't have a business to register, you can't register in SAM. Unless, like I said, you're just going to register yourself and use your social security number, which I would only do if you are going to be doing work yourself, right? Because if you're going to be doing business, you know, work, you want to register in SAM as a business. I mean, you have to, otherwise you're going to be lying on some of the questions. So I hope that, I hope that clarifies it. Jay Storm, wait, would it be acceptable and still within outsourcing policies if I hired more employees into my company and had them perform the work? My employees versus outside subcontracting. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's what they want you to do, Jay Storm. You're saying, can I just hire more employees? Please do. Like, yeah, you don't have to work with subs. Subs is just really for people who aren't able to for a number of reasons. But if your company, you have existing employees and you just want to hire more employees, that's called self-performance. That is that is like best case scenario. And it's not just from a self-performance standpoint of, and being hands-on, but it's also from like a pricing standpoint. Like you're going to be way more cost competitive because there's not that link in the chain where subs putting their markup on it and then you're putting your markup on the sub. Like it's just you paying your employees and you're going to, you know, employees are expensive for sure. It's all the payroll taxes and all that stuff that comes into it. But the subs doing billing you for all that plus their markup. So if you can take that link out of the chain and just go direct to getting employees, that that's the ideal outcome. hundred percent. James, I'm new to your channel. Where can I receive more info on your services? James, um, just go to govkidmethod.com. You can find everything there. Uh, just govkidmethod.com. I'll go ahead and just put that in the chat. Brian, um, can you please not direct your conversation to me? I'm doing the work with no real success. Thanks. Much appreciated. Can I please not direct your conversation to you? I'm, I'm certainly not directing anything to you. I'm only answering the the questions as they come. Um, if you're doing the work with no real success, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. To do do the example that we're talking about. If that's really hitting home for you, I, I and you're doing the work, then uh, I, I certainly commend you for the work. I think the last final step is just that realignment that we talked about with doing an audit of the activities you're spending the time on. Um, and also like how much time are you spending? And if you are, then it's just gotta be the activities that you're doing. Sly, how, how I got started to alleviate the anxiety of government contracting is by becoming a reliable sub for primes, 100%. You always, you guys, you can always do that. You can always become a sub if you want. I just always say like, you don't have to. But if, if you're wanting to really break into an industry and you want to be thorough and understand it and really like do work yourself and with your employees and all that stuff, you can do C to C, commercial to commercial. You can do B to B, business to business. Um, and either you can try to work with a prime contractor or just do it in the commercial space. Do the thing. And, and I'm, I'm obviously an advocate of that. Like, but you don't have to stay there. And in some cases, you, you don't have to do that. So it's like like this question slide says it it alleviates the anxiety of contracting so if this is a problem if this is a wall you're struggling with then pause take 12 months come back to government contracting do this work in the commercial space and then bring that not just you know the confidence but even like the direct pass performance and all that stuff it's always an option for you there on the table i'm always 100 percent uh, behind and in favor of doing that. I just always say you, if you're not having that problem and you don't have the anxiety or the confidence, and that's not something holding you back, then don't like, don't put another block in the chain 
right? If it's not something that you're having an issue with, um, don't don't prolong your time getting into government contracting because the more time you're in the space, the more you're, you're going to learn, right? So we don't want to delay it. So only if you are struggling with this, which honestly, many are, and they probably just don't realize it, then this is probably the best solution to overcoming that. And all good things come in time, right? So investing 12 months or however much time you need to in the commercial space to, to do this and then bring it, if that's what you need, definitely do it. I'd rather you, rather you do it the right way. Because in in all honesty, over the long term, like a year is it's not it's not a long time. You know, it's kind of a drop in the bucket when it comes to this stuff. So yeah, I, I certainly appreciate that. Lead times on getting the, the UEI is insane. Have to remain vigilant and constantly contact them for sure. It's like it's like the uh, the cow prodder thing. Like you got to keep zapping them um, to make sure the process is completed. I actually didn't know the UEI was that behind though, Sly. I did not know it was that far behind. I mean, literally everything I've seen, like you get the UEI the same day, but it's been a while for me. So um, that's good to know. Mr. Ellington, woo, we finally made it live. Yes, you made it. You absolutely made it. Uh, thank you. This is starting to click and make sense. Awesome. That's what we do these lives for. And we are hanging out longer. We're already at an hour 40, guys, which I'm totally cool with as long as you're totally cool with it. Just spending time um, to make today's episode special. It's horrible, man. That, thanks for sharing that with me because I have not heard that bit of feedback. But that's that's crazy because it's, it's, you know, it's replaced the Dunn's number, right? And the Dunn's number did not like take that long either. But if they're now swapping this it out for this and now this is, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense because Dunn and Bradstreet, the old way before April, it's a separate entity. You know, um, any times the government gets their hands on things, it kind of is at risk of getting put in the cog of things getting messed up. Yeah. Waiting on the, took you three months. That's crazy. And waiting on the cage code for sure. We definitely expect the cage code weight. Absolutely crazy. But what we what we do in this stage is now we learn. Like we we learn because that's all we can do. So we start practicing these things. We do practice bids. Uh, if, if you're like this into it, we use this time. We don't want to just sit and wait. Um, we learn to, to our, our safe searches, prospecting. We do a lot of practice with qualifying bids you know, finding the, the right bids for your business instead of just trying to go after everything or nothing, um, all that good stuff. Even like practicing teeing up like outlines is, is a great place to spend time. Got finished my registration on Sam two days ago. I got my UEI same day and tin matched the next week. I, I've heard that too, which is why it was a little interesting to me. Um, yeah. Like it's a little interesting to me uh, that that was. The, I'm just reading the chat here. Um, it took that long for the three months to get the UEI because I've also heard like a lot of the same days. It's interesting, James. When you landed your first contract with the Rock Salt, how did you decide to add 50k to the 35 as the price of the government? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't add that much. Um, Meday. I think there's provisional allowance if you're registered on Sam and don't have a cage code. You can apply for contracts. There is. Uh, and thanks for bringing that up because government does not want um, procurement to be slowed down because they know this is a problem on their end. So you're 100% correct. They are doing a provisional allowance. Um, 
if you have submitted registration, but you don't have your cage code yet, that you can provisionally um, so go after contracts. Yep, that is that is definitely a thing. All right, let's switch it up and go back to bids. Uh, custodial services out of Pittsburgh. It's going to be for the Army. This is due December 22nd. It's actually due, or no, it was updated to January 4th. It was due today, and then they updated it. Small business set aside. Pittsburgh, PA. ACC, Army Contracting Command, New Jersey. This is going to be base plus four option periods. Again, this is going to be custodial services. They are issuing, uh, stating an amendment here to extend their, that's just to do the, the, the due date extension. No big deal. And then we have attachments. We have a solicitation doc, a statement of work, floor plan, wage termination, questions and answers, and then the amendment. So pretty straightforward solicitation doc. And I do see, thank you so much, Sly, for the super sticker, my man. Appreciate it. Um, not necessary, but definitely super appreciated. Thank you so much for contributing to the channel. Our SF1449 form and $20 too, man. That's definitely too kind of you. Thank you. Our SF1449 form here. They're saying see and complete all applicable areas. Uh, okay. Yeah. Basically do your, your reps and certs for the covered telecom. Um, let's see. So it's going to be at the U.S. Army Reserve Center. Let me go ahead and turn off my heat here. I'm roasting with this Santa hat on. <laughs> um, government tends to award a firm fixed price contract. The period performance for this effort shall be one 12-month base period as and for uh, option years. We know that. They did give us the, did they? Yeah, they did give us the address. I even like to like look this up on Google Maps. Uh, the Morlock U.S. Army Reserve Center, the USARC, the USARC, located at 7100 Leach Farm Road in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I like to just pull these up in Google Maps to just see, like, what what are we, this thing look like? Let's see if it'll play nice with us really quickly. Otherwise, I won't worry about it. But yeah, with the government addresses, they are a little bit... Take this part out. Okay, so yeah, 7100, this is our location right here. Go to the street view. So definitely do this when you guys are looking at solicitations and, and when it's like appropriate, where you have like a place, an actual place of performance. This just kind of, again, we try to assemble a picture we put to put a puzzle together. This is a big piece to that that really starts to make things feel more comfortable for you. So you can absolutely, I, I highly recommend that you just do this. You know, there it is, U.S. Army Reserve, Morlock Reserve Center. So this is where you're going to be providing those custodial services. Make sense? Man, we got the train going. Brian Holmes, thank you so much as well for the $20 super sticker. Appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Not ex not expected by any means, but appreciate it. Another $20. Thank you so much. We appreciate you uh, contributing that to our to our channel. Very cool. Um, the government of 
uh, okay, from fixed price, we know this. Contractor quote must include unit and extended price for all the CLINs, okay, SF 1449 page. The proposal shall include all personnel, supply services, management, overhead, and direct costs, GNA, and profit to fulfill. So basically, they're saying all of your expenses, we want it all. There will be a site visit on the 13th and the 19th of December. Both of those dates have passed already. And then your questions are due by December 20th. We're hit with our pricing cleanse, 12 months. And again, like, what are they asking for? So, so we haven't seen the statement of work yet, but all of the stuff, right? All the custodial stuff for 12 months, but then down here, saying semi-monthly. We'll have to look at the statement of work for this because I think they're going to differentiate. We have three. They're just doing a copy and paste on all these. So four, five. So we have five CLINs and then we go into the option periods. So I, like I said, I'm curious to see what those other periods are. We have our delivery schedule. It's going to show us all of our period performance dates. This is actually supposed to kick off um, the 19th of December, three days ago. Okay, but see, a lot of you get geeked out about these. They are going to push these start dates back because they have also pushed back the proposal deadline uh, due date. We have reps and certs. And I just want to know more about these tasks to better line up these pricing cleans that they just copy and pasted the same thing for so that I can uh, differentiate the two. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, we do see government will award most responsive offer, lowest price. So we are seeing lowest price for evaluation. What else we got to work with here? I think I didn't. Yeah, what's going on? My, my tabs are messed up here. Okay, what else do we have for attachments? I do need to see the statement of work. And JSTORM, I do, I see the question. We'll get to the question. And uh, once we switch back over to chat and the same for Mrs. D, once we switch back to the chat, I do see your questions here. Looking for these tasks that, they, that they're talking about, hoping they will flesh this out for us. Specific tasks, okay. Weekly services, so space cleaning, mats, waste containers, floor care, sweeping, mopping, restroom, sweep, mop, empty waste containers. And then here's the semi-monthly. Okay, so this is what I was looking for. Partly what I was looking for, actually. So drinking fountains. Cleaning the restrooms, walls, doors, things like that. So that's semi-monthly. And then we have monthly for vacuuming, cleaning, and then semi-annual. Did I just like, did I totally botch that? Um, or did they not state it that way in the pricing cleanse? Okay. Yeah, I think, I think there's a little bit of both. Let's go back to the top here. 
So weekly, so we're good on that because they said weekly. Semi-monthly, okay, so they did say semi-monthly. Then it says monthly. Okay, so yeah, it was just me. And then semi-annual. So these do line up, but they didn't tell us the difference in the uh, the tasks. So this is what you would need to do. For these pricing cleanse, you need to find the statement of work wherever it went. Yeah, close that one out. And then you would go basically hand in hand with, with these as well, because that is the one common thread that we have to identify these. Did I pass it? Yeah, specific tasks. Okay, so weekly. So weekly. There you go. Weekly. There you go. We made it. Weekly. Weekly. Coming down. Semi-monthly. Semi-monthly. But this is so this is what you're gonna have to do on your own when you come across this. You have to figure this out. You have to line this up. Monthly, monthly semi-annual semi-annual and then the last one is annual which is the floor the stripping and waxing of the floors which is very common and then it's just going to repeat for all the option years okay so they didn't tell us in this area they just copy and pasted all the same stuff so you have to go and find it so you just have to be armed with these skills you have to have this toolkit strapped onto your waist so no matter what's thrown at you you can like figure this stuff out does that make sense? And I, I know we go through these quickly. I know we cover a lot, especially today. I don't know if we're going to make it through all 10. I really, really want to. It's just we might need to pick up the pace because <laughs> I'm going to run out of steam here quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll go ahead. It's going to aim my focus on uh, picking up the pace here guys so because i know um some people would probably be interested in the yellow ribbons and so i do want to do want to honor going through those and again thank you sly and thank you brian holmes for the uh, contributions to the channel greatly appreciated again uh, jay storm last one uh la last one about employees i promise uh, you're good hopefully in the government's eyes our employees w2 as the same as independent contractors the only answer i could give to you on that is Kind of cite the, the the rough definition of the difference between the two and tell you that you should be using the appropriate vehicle based on the appropriate what on what the true need appropriately is so what is the difference between a w-2 employee and a 1099 employee it is their schedule okay that is what's identified as a difference a w-2 employee if if you have an employee working for you and they have a recurring schedule and that schedule is is the same they should be a w2 employee if you have an employee that is more project based or where things are more one off or they're ever changing they are more fit in that case for a 1099 because they do not have that recurring schedule so as i said you should do whichever is right whichever best fits that is which um which vehicle you should be using Mrs. D, since I'm seeing quite a few bids pay using WAF, wide area workflow, correct. Should we go ahead and sign up for that program now? So when we win a bid, it will be done. Yeah, you, you certainly can. Um, when you do win a contract, you do get uh, assigned kind of like a POC on the contract to help you on the government's accounts payable side that, you know, because it's actually not the easiest thing 
or the, the quickest thing either to get set up in Watts. So you could certainly start taking those steps if you are able to, to doing that. Um, it may be a little bit harder to figure out on your own, but if that's something you want to start making steps and, tr and strides to, I would certainly uh, encourage that. Are we viewing a government contract? Uh, yes, these are all government contracts that we look at. Uh, WAF was a nightmare for invoicing several years ago. Has it gotten better? Um, I don't think a lot of things have changed in WAF. The clients, you know, my biggest, I don't compete for contracts with my clients, right? So I, I support my clients. So from this standpoint, I get the information from what they're experiencing. I haven't heard any negative feedback outside of what's usual for the actual process of billing invoice and, and invoicing. What I have heard is just the process of, of getting set up. That's that's kind of what is on my uh, my radar. For sure, for sure. Okay, so we're gonna keep the pace going. We ha do have the Med VAMC shuttle services. Why do I feel like we looked at this one already? Um, small business set aside due January 4th. Wage determination one, two. Past performance questionnaire. And then solicitation doc and maybe an amendment. Let me go ahead and close out that other document as well. I think I was thinking of the, uh, the trans the transport for the seed samplings one, because we've covered so much today. This is uh, two pages. So we will go ahead and look at the other document instead for the solicitation. All right. Shuttle services. Okay. Shuttling to and from uh, the v VAMCs, VA medical centers and the CBOX, um, the outpatient clinics as they are referred this is going to kick off. So that's interesting. They're saying this is going to kick off January 1 of 2022. So we'll have to see because that's clearly a, a year behind. Could be a typo. And guys, I always tell you, if something doesn't make sense, it may not make sense. Contracting may need to clarify that or fix that. So make sure that you are the... Um, the expert in your area to have that confidence and push back on things that don't make sense, right? This is a statement of work. So here they do show us a different period of performance. So that was likely, you know, a typo it was a mistake or it was a copy and paste job because this is reflecting January 1, 2023. They're giving us a number of locations, including Walmart Supercenter, uh, different VA centers. Uh, and they're talking about the bus arrival and the bus departure. Contractors shall provide transportation for authorized vets and their caregivers per the stops and times indicated below. So this is sounding like bus driver, which makes me think um, I'm sure that the government would be providing those buses, but I can't be 100% sure, but I'm like 99% sure. The contractor shall provide shuttle services Monday through Friday, excluding holidays. Contractor shall furnish uh, driver personnel, a charter bus with wheelchair lift. So see... I, I was, that is that 
the contractor shall furnish the personnel a charter bus with wheelchair lift, wheelchair safety straps, with a bathroom, handrail, and a vehicle that can accommodate walkers and other devices used for mobility assistance. The bus shall be able to accommodate, so you're providing a bus for this if you're not cluing in yet, two to four wheelchairs, and the bus shall be compliant with ADA. Okay, so this is not just drivers, it's drivers and a bus. They want this to be turnkey, which is interesting. Furthermore, they go on to explain the requirements of the vehicles and the equipment, class B CDL license for the drivers. Driver qualifications. And then we have our pricing cleanse here, guys. So days is our unit. DY would be days. So they're telling us for these different trips, 188. Do you guys see, we've done a lot today. Does this seem very repetitive to you? Because we don't usually do this many all in one session. I hope you're, you're seeing that this is extremely repetitive, which is why I want you to get the reps in. I want you to get the volumes in. Because when you do that, there's going to be a sorting process that happens. The stuff that you see over and over and over again is going to go in one pile. And then the stuff that's unique and that you haven't seen before is going to go in another pile. And then you're going to start to build your core fundamentals, your base. This is going to be how your reading starts to take off. Because the things that you see over and over and over again, you're starting to know what they mean and what they stand for. Which allows you to then build up like your, your willpower to tackle those things that you're not used to seeing. Okay. At the beginning, everything seems new. Everything's overwhelming. But through getting these repetitions in, you, you start to separate these things out to two piles and you become more mentally freed up and available to, to tackle new stuff, right? And you're always, we're always getting thrown new stuff. Uh, every bit is different. But so you, you just got to, there's nothing better you can do than to get these reps in at the beginning so that you free up that space so you can keep making progress. I hope that makes sense. You just got to do it. Okay, so we do find evaluation factors, which looks like it's also a combination of instruction to offers because they are telling us, eh, we will back up because they do have a formal instruction to offers, but it has both. I'll show you what I mean here. Submit your quote to Orita or Orita Jarvis. Break your proposal down into three volumes. Volume one, technical. Volume two, pass performance. Volume three, pricing. They're telling you exactly what they want. Volume one, within your technical, they want you to complete B1, contract administration data, and contractor info. Also, they want you to complete a contingency plan for evaluation. And then lastly, for volume one, they want a technical plan that's going to basically explain how you can do this work in accordance with the statement of work like a and include like a performance plan a quality control plan and your vehicle equipment and staff that you're going to be using all right no guesswork you need to be able to read to find this now that we found this this is this is what's going to allow us to write this is what they want volume two past performance attach the past performance sheet provided okay and then volume three pressing information see below this is how you write your proposal to this there should be no guesswork. Do I put my company's background information? Do I put these fancy charts with all these colors in here? 
If it's not what they asked for, no, you don't give it to them. You, you, you start with zero and you build. You don't start with all this fluff and stuff and think that you think would be great and add to it. You start literally with nothing and then you only put in there what they've asked for. This is how we write. And then here we go again. We're seeing compliance with limitations on subcontracting, right? So if you are working with subs, they want a narrative that identifies your subs, the estimated value of each subcontract, the services that each sub will provide, and then the socioeconomic status of the subs, right? They're looking for situated, similarly situated entities. What we talked about, you're actually getting to see that written into the actual instruction offers here. They're increasingly cracking down on this, which is great because there's a lot of companies out there that, again, they're just doing illegal pass-through schemes. What is a set-aside on this? It's total small. So we're even seeing this on a total small. And this is a VA contract that's not going to vets. It's going to total small. And they're still cracking down on limitations on subcontracting, as they should. Again, for the now for the evaluation, they said they wanted a performance plan, but now they're telling you more specifically what that should have. Performance plan that reflects an understanding of the scope of work. That's not super helpful. But also submit information regarding the ability to manage the grounds transportation contracts. So write to that. Write to your company's ability to manage the grounds transportation contracts of similar size and magnitude. And then number three, describe the ability to respond to changes as the workload increases and decreases. You write to these specific things. You write sentence after sentence and you combine them to make paragraphs. And then you have multiple paragraphs and if need be multiple pages, but less is more. You do the same thing for this quality control plan. So they're, they're, they're spoon feeding you exactly what they want. You just have to write to it and respond to it. That's how you write government proposals. You don't have to be some fancy writer to do this stuff. As a matter of fact, if you are a fancy writer, it could actually work against you. So let's go ahead and move on. And keep the pace going. Um, Jay Storm. Okay, okay. I believe I worded the last question poorly. All good, man. Person's paid from my corp, regardless if they're W two or ten ninety nine. The government would consider them both as my employees. I mean, yes, W two and ten ninety nine are cons are considered different types of employees, and the, the government wouldn't wouldn't change that, right? So you can use ten ninety nine, or you can use W two. What the government's going to be concerned about, like I was trying to say, is if you're trying to do a 1099 to say like skimp on paying payroll taxes, for example, when this really is, uh, you know, an employee with a regular schedule, they're, you know, they're not going to like that. You know, if the DOL starts poking around, they're not going to like that. So I'm just trying to look out for you and say, if you're going to provide employees, that's fine. Either, like either one is fine, but uh, do like do what is accurate. Midday repetitive is good. Great teaching techniques. It, it's just like learning anything. Learning to tie your shoes. You have to do it a whole bunch of times. All right, guys, we are in the home stretch here. Yellow Ribbon, January 20, uh, Pinellas Park, Army, due January 4th. Small business set aside, hotel next code. We have solicitation doc, PWS, and a bid form. Going to try to go through this in hyper speed so that we can uh, wrap this up for today. Quote format they're giving you. Talking about uh, yeah, OCI. Of course, you don't want OCI. Straight into the pricing cleanse. 
They're not giving us units here, just 60 rooms, January 19th, 20 rooms on Friday. Okay, so like what they're telling you to price, I know, uh, I believe it was Ms. D that had this question earlier. It's just your total price for everything for these rooms. So that's your profit, like that's your cost, your managerial expenses. If you're going to travel, everything rolled up into this number because they're not going to give you probably an opportunity to price that out separately. Clean two parking, okay, if there's a, a fee for parking. Very straightforward, like extremely straightforward as yellow ribbon events are often. <laughs> Reps and certs, extremely straightforward. And not like not a bad contract, you know, these contracts are not bad if you're getting started out. They can be quite competitive, but you just never know. So we have a short PWS reflecting a lot of the same information. We do have this bid form. So super curious what that looks like. So support staff rooms, attendee rooms, and then parking. Okay. So they're just looking for a rate and then your total cost. You will have to include this Excel worksheet. and close that one out as well with your response. Extremely straightforward though. Like so straightforward, we're gonna just move on to the next one, which is probably gonna be very similar. This is a different event, January 10th. Also small business set aside. They're straight up telling us um, CLINs right on the, the listing description. CLIN one, meeting spaces, breakout rooms. Okay, so four rooms in vendor area. And then CLIN two, they want food. So buffet breakfast from 8.30 to 9.30 for 220 adults, 25 youth and 15 children on January 28th. So just one day. We have a SOW and a solicitation doc. So these are not going to require any sort of lengthy proposal responses, um, volume breakdowns. They're going to be quotes. Quotes are due January 10th. It's like price only. And this basically consists of finding hotels in the area that are able to accommodate this. So they're also going to want this, this breakdown as well. So both uh, yellow ribbons are... Yellow ribbons are, are always solid because you, you always know what you're getting into and you know what to expect. Mide, use their words to respond to the bid 100%. And that is a solid point. Always use the government's words uh, because you're speaking their language, like very literally and very seriously, you're speaking their language. So we don't want to pare it back and just like copy and paste sentences out of the statement of work. But we do want to use those words because those words are going to be those triggers that let the government know that you are doing the thing that they're looking for because they're looking for very specific things. Ms. D with the yellow ribbon bids, do you have to bid on all cleans? Yes, you do. You do. You, you can't just choose which cleans you want to go after and pick and choose. Um, it's all or nothing. And that's very much the case with government contracting um, across the board. Yeah, I know. Like if you do the rooms without childcare, you have to do all that. You have to do the childcare too. It's a good question. It's a good thing to know. All right, guys. Well, we I know those last two were super quick, but honestly, they uh, they they were um, extremely, extremely straightforward. Uh, there is so much more to learn about bidding and winning on Sam. What we do during these lives is really just a drop in the ocean, drop in the bucket. If you're looking for a step by step proven process to follow with weekly coaching, which is way more in depth uh, than what we do here on the channel to make sure that you're doing this right, trying to bid on win contracts on Sam. Uh, you may be the next perfect fit to join our bid team. You can learn more and apply to book a call at govkidmethod.com. Thing is, with that, uh, we are closed for the next couple of weeks, so we're not taking any more um, 
new applicants or any new uh, applications or bookings, we will be kicking that back off uh, the second week of January. Um, there may be like one or two bookings left for, for tomorrow if anybody is wanting to get on the calendar to, to talk um, about uh, joining our bid team. But that is, yeah, we're pretty much going to be wrapped up until the second week of January. Guys, I sincerely hope that you have an amazing holiday. Um, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you're celebrating. I mean, it's truly like an extremely special time of year. And I, I hope that uh, we can all just kind of remember the reason for this season. And and if 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 nothing else, just give a little bit more, be a little bit uh, more forgiving, be a little bit more understanding. Um, love is the name of the game. And I'm not trying to preach right now. But uh, I think that really is the currency that matters. I know it's really easy to get caught up in things. I certainly do. And I know that we all do get caught up. And I think we should just try to be a little bit less caught up in stuff this year and really remember what this whole thing is all about and what we're we're meant to do down here. And it's, you know, it's love, connection, each other. And um, hopefully we can all you know bring a little bit extra of that over this this next week just just because it's that special time of year um and and happy new year to everybody as well this will be the last live training of 2022 which is so cool and why i wanted to make it special and uh, we will kick the, the new year off as well in the second week of january everything's going to get going again so i hope you guys have a very uh, special and memorable holiday and um, I, I just hope it's very awesome for you guys and, and it's been so awesome, especially this past year, building out this community and seeing the amount of businesses that have gone on to either start bidding um, and just go from not even being registered to bidding has been amazing to see. But then also businesses that have won their first, second and third contracts has been like really, really amazing as well. And anything that we can do to like impact the space um, and impact the, the industry, that's kind of that that bigger vision that I have. I'm really am trying to um, bridge the gap for small businesses trying to enter the space. I'm just trying to make sure that you guys stay compliant and that you do this stuff right. Um, but also that you don't spend a lot of time and in some cases, a lot of money doing things that are not going to be beneficial to you. These are all things that are part of my bigger vision and mission and, and like what I'm trying to, uh, like I said, impact the space and, and, and bring and, and, you know, um, it's just so cool because I feel like we are doing that, even if it is on a very, very small scale uh, through the transformations and through the testimonials and and through the people that I you know see or hear from here on the channel. You know, like we got War Dog on here who is, um, you know, I, I, you know, what was it like a month ago? I think you won your first contract. So it's just really, really cool. And it's, it's really satisfying and it's really, uh, really exciting for me to see that impact. And I, and I know like we're not the only channel or we're not the only one. Um, and, and thank, thank God that we're not right. Um, there are other people doing this. I think government contracting is something very unique and, and very special and it comes with its own challenges, of course, just like anything does, but it's just really cool to see people come into the space who are genuinely wanting to make businesses long-term out of this, do the work, do things the right way. And to see that, that happening is just the most, you know, most inspiring thing to me. So that's all that I really have to say. Thank you for all of you guys. You subscribe to the channel again. Thank you for a Brian and Sly for your contributions today as well. And, and yes, God bless everybody. Thank you for that me day. Um, and Brian, happy holidays as well. I'll be signing off now. We'll see y'all in 2023. Be safe.
uh, remember the reason for the season, everything, um, whatever that is for you. And we'll see you guys in, in a few weeks. Take care. Bye, everybody.